This morning's reading is from Isaiah chapter 40, reading from verse 1. Isaiah chapter 40, reading from verse 1. Comfort for God's people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hand service has been completed. That her sin has been paid for. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows in them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in the balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all nations are nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows in them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. 
Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar in wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And may God add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. Heavenly Father, the reason that we are here, the reason that we take time to meditate upon your word, is that we truly believe it is that lamp, that light, that we need to guide us from day to day. So it is our sincere prayer, O Lord, that as we give consideration to your word, it would indeed shine a light upon our way. A prayer that is particularly appropriate today, on this first Lord's Day of a new year. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our God and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, you know you're getting old when the best part of the day is when it's over, when it's time for bed. You know, as children, we do anything to stay up late. You know, please, mum, five minutes more, just five minutes more. As teenagers, maybe we took all-night parties in our stride. Those days are long gone. If you're anything like me, you can hardly wait to get to bed. Because we're tired. You know, just about everybody I speak to these days is tired. We just seem to crawl through every day. If you're working, then you're working longer hours than ever before. If you're at home, there seems to be no end of jobs to be done. If you're retired, somehow you've managed to end up looking after the grandchildren. And though you may love them to bits, they leave you exhausted. Weekends. No longer the oasis of peace and rest they used to be. Sunday, Sunday in particular, has been stripped of its title, The Day of Rest. People no longer just look forward to their holidays. They are desperate for their holidays. So many of us are tired and weary. And it's not just a physical tiredness. There's an emotional tiredness as well. There's a world weariness. We're worried about our children. We worry about our jobs. We worry about our finances. And all that worry is exhausting, isn't it? Perhaps you're tired of the life that you're living. A lot of people are these days. They're tired of a relationship that is draining them rather than fulfilling them. A relationship with a partner, be it husband, wife, lover, friend, demands more and more from them but gives them nothing back. It's even possible to be tired doing nothing. So you've been made redundant. Well, you're too old to take up anything new, but you're too young just to put up your feet. Or you've thought about early retirement. And you've got great plans for the years ahead, but then ill health strikes. You're under doctor's orders. No excitement. Nothing strenuous. It's amazing how much you can sleep when you've got nothing to do. Physically exhausted, emotionally drained, and spiritually weary. Spiritually weary. What is true for us physically and emotionally is also true for us spiritually. 
There are times when our spirit, our inner self, is tired, is exhausted, drained. It can happen when our faith has been tested to the limit and we just can't take any more. It can happen when we've been given out so much to other people that we have forgotten to nourish our own souls. It can also happen when we're under the Lord's discipline and our tears and tantrums have worn us out. It was to such people, exhausted people, weary people, worn out and dog-tired people, that the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah. And it is to such people that the Lord comes to on this first Lord's Day of the new year. I want us to look at the situation that God's people found themselves in and what the Lord told Isaiah to say to them. As it says in Isaiah 40 verse 8, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. The word of the Lord stands today, just as it did in Isaiah's time. Now the context is that God's people were in exile in Babylon, just as the earlier prophets had predicted, prophets like Amos and Hosea and Jeremiah, Israel and Judah had been defeated by the great powers of the day, first of all by Assyria, and then by Babylonia, and then they had been repatriated. So how did they feel? Exiled from their homeland, Psalm 137 verse 1, by the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. As a nation, they turned their backs on the Lord, they had ignored the warnings of the prophets, and in effect, the Lord was allowing them to experience the logical conclusion, the logical consequences of their behavior. Having refused to listen to him, he stopped listening to them. You know what it's like when a child is playing up, and they're acting as if you're not there. They're just totally ignoring you, they're totally defying you. So what do you do? Well, you just walk away. Just walk away. And that's when he realises that you're serious. Because it's alright to ignore you when he can see you. But if you're not there, if you are ignoring him, well, it's no fun anymore, is it? That's what it was like for the ancient Jews. After years of exile in Babylon, they were feeling the absence of the Lord. Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. You see, the discipline was working. The shock of defeat and humiliation had brought them to their senses. But was it too late? Had they already had their last chance with God? Would he forgive them? Or was there more pain to come? Would there be more exile? And exile not just from their beloved homeland, but exile from the Lord himself. They were tired and emotional. They missed their home. They missed their God. Again, Psalm 137, verse 4. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? And it seemed to them that God was prolonging their agony. Their prayers went unanswered. Their cries went unheard. And they just couldn't take any more. And many of us feel the same. Many of us have felt the desolation of a spiritual exile. We've felt the despair of being left out in the cold by God. We've been knocking on heaven's door. But there's been no answer. And yes, 
we admit that the Lord has had every right to walk away from us, every right to send us into exile, because we had been ignoring him. We had shut our ears to him. So why shouldn't he do the same to us? But it's going on too long, and we want home. We want home to the warmth of the Lord's embrace. We want home to the assurance of his love. We need to know that all is forgiven and forgotten. What is the Lord's word to us at such a time? It's not a word of rebuke, though it may have been. It's not a word of impatience telling us that he will see us when he is good and ready to see us, though it may have been. It is certainly not a word of rejection, though we have given the Lord plenty cause to have nothing to do with us. It's a word of comfort. A word of comfort. Indeed, a double comfort. The first two verses. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to her and proclaim to her her hard service has been completed. That her sin has been paid for. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her trouble. It's time to prepare for the Lord's coming. Make a straight road for the Lord. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. And rugged places a plain. In other words, all hindrances will be removed. There will be nothing to slow the Lord down. Nothing to hold him up. No roadworks, no traffic jams, no potholes. No sin too great that it is unforgivable. No wandering too far that we can never return. No hole so deep that we cannot be reached. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. This is the gospel message, isn't it? It is quite literally the gospel message because the gospel, the word gospel means good news. Glad tidings. William Tyndale, who was one of the first to translate the Bible into English, gives what I think is the best definition of gospel ever written. He says gospel means, he says, it signifieth good, many, glad and joyful tidings that maketh a man's heart glad and maketh him sing, dance and leap for joy gospel. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Behold your God. Calvin says, this expression includes the sum of our happiness, which consists solely in the presence of God. Behold your God. The sum of our happiness. You see, my friends, the answer to our weariness The answer to our sense of hopelessness and helplessness. The answer to the frustrations at the way our life isn't going the way we want it to go. Doesn't lie in any therapy or philosophy. Not in religion. Not even in the church. Sometimes you might say, my faith will get me through. But even our faith can be weak. And can let us down. What we need. What we need more than anything else. 
is to behold our God. To behold our God. We need to know our God. We need to grasp in our minds something of the character of God and then let, let that knowledge just seep down into our very souls so that when our minds go, when we're not thinking straight, that knowledge of the character of God is part and parcel of our character as well. When Isaiah addressed the Jewish exiles, weary and worn as they were, he presented them with a vision of their God. Behold your God, he says. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. See, look, behold. And what kind of God does Isaiah present to them? Well, he is a God of infinite power and majesty. But he is also a God of the most tender care and compassion. And friends, I believe with every fiber of my being that this is the God our world needs to know. This is the God that we have been ignoring. This is the God of whom we are lamentably ignorant. Supremely. He is a God revealed to us in and through our Savior, Jesus Christ. So look what Isaiah does. First of all, in order to reinforce the greatness of God, there's a description of what we are like. Verses 6 and 7. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. Because the breath of the Lord blows in them. In the scheme of things, we are no more than the grass, no more than the wildflowers. All our glory, the best of our achievements, be they scientific, artistic, technological, educational, all their glory is like the flowers of the field. That which is most beautiful about humanity. All that we have done to improve ourselves and adore our surroundings is all going to end up in the scrap heap, isn't it? From the perspective of history, we are here today and gone tomorrow. We leave as much an impression upon the planet as a daisy or a buttercup. And I find that humbling. I find that rather humbling. But it's true, isn't it? It's true. And boy, oh boy, some of us feel as fragile as one of those flowers. Now contrast frail humanity with the living God. He is the sovereign Lord. He comes with power and his arm rules for him. And in verses 12 through to 17, Isaiah spells out how incomparable the Lord is. And notice how there's that series of questions. Who, 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 who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hands marked off the heavens? Who has weighed the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains and the scales and the hills in a balance? Now it's very pictorial language, isn't it? The waters of the ocean swirling around in the palm of the hand. The expanse of the skies measured out in hand breaths. The minutiae of the dust held in a basket. Mountain ranges weighed in scales. Verse 13. 
who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as counsellor. Presidents may have their special advisors, prime ministers their focus groups, but who did the Lord consult to enlighten him? The nations are like a drop in the bucket to the Lord. So these empires, the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Romans, these great powers, the British and the Americans and the Russians, these multinational corporations that hold our fate in their hands, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, they are nothing. They're like dust to God. One puff and they're gone. Behold your God. Verse 22. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. I love flying. And the bit I love most about flying is when you take off. Because I love to look out of the window and just see the land get further and further and further away. And just before you pass through the clouds, you get the most amazing views of miles around. Towns look like model villages, cars like dinky toys, people like ants scurrying around. And that's only from a few thousand feet up. What must we look like from heaven? Or, or, or look in the opposite direction. Look up at the night sky. Can you count the, sky, the stars? Well, apparently there are a million, million stars in our galaxy, and there are a million, million galaxies with millions and millions of stars. I never managed to get beyond ten once I ran out of fingers. You know, the Babylonians were great astrologers. They believed that their lives were influenced by the stars. It's incredible, isn't it? There are still people who do believe that today. But look what Isaiah says in verse 26. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Behold your God. Behold your God. But you see, that's not all either. Such a God, such a powerful, almighty, majestic God, can be daunting, can be frightening, can, be, can seem remote. We are grass. We are as fragile as the wild flowers. So won't this almighty God crush us underfoot? Won't he uproot us like weeds? Won't he throw us in the rubbish fire? We're frightened enough. So where is the tenderness in all this? Where is the comfort? He says in verse 11, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. You see, my friends, the same arm that rules for him is the same arm that scoops up the lambs and holds them close to his chest. The same arm that gently leads those that have young. And more than that, even more than that, we have those wonderful word, words at the end of the chapter, verses 29 through to 31. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. 
They will walk and not be faint. Strength to the weary. Think of it like this. In a battle, a soldier has been wounded and his comrade comes alongside him and puts the wounded man's arm around his neck. And from a distance it looks as if the two of them are walking together. Actually, the fit man is carrying the wounded man. Now, some of us feel battle weary. He gives strength to the weary. Strength to those who hope in him. Strength to those who wait on him. Who trust in him. Those who are willing to say, yes, his ways belong to eternity. Mine to time. He is the potter. <coughs> I am the clay. He is the father. I am the child. I think it's the idea of soaring that attracts us the most. We say to ourselves, oh, I wish I could just fly away from all my troubles. Fly away from all my worries. But this is the interesting thing. <clears throat> that Isaiah's message does not climax with the soaring, but with the walking. They will walk and not be faint. Oh, has he it, has it got it the wrong way around? We want it to be walk, then run, then soar. But he's got soar, then run, then walk. Has he got it the wrong way around? No, he has not. Because though the Lord gives us extra strength to soar when we need to soar, the greatest gift is to be able to walk. The strength to get on with a mundane to get on with the ordinary, to get on with the day-in, day-out hard graft of life. Behold your God. There's a rather silly American pop psychology book called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And what it's about is that so much of what we need to know about life is all very basic and rudimentary. You know, like, learn to share, play fair, don't hit people. There's a sense of that coming from Isaiah. Look at verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Isaiah is saying to us, and all that I've been preaching, you know already. You know this already. I'm not telling you anything good. You learned it all in Sunday school. Wide, wide is the ocean. High as the heavens above. Deep, deep as the deepest sea is my Saviour's love. I, oh, so unworthy, still am a child of his care. For his word teaches me that his love reaches me. Everywhere. You know already. Behold your God. Behold our Lord Jesus Christ. The good shepherd of the flock. Whose invitation to you is this. Come, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I don't know how tired you are at the start of this new year. Maybe it's nothing that a good holiday wouldn't put right. But friend, if it's tiredness of the soul 
if it is an inner weariness, then a week in the sun is not going to be the cure, is it? If you are only too conscious that you are fragile like the grass, like the flowers of the field, that you are here today and gone tomorrow, if today the fragility of life has been brought home to you, then the rest that you need can only be found in Jesus Christ. Let me quote Calvin again. Let us therefore learn to flee to the Lord, who after we have encountered many storms, will at length conduct us to the harbour. For he who hath opened up a path, and hath commanded us to advance in that course in which he hath placed us, does not intend to assist us only for a single day, and to forsake us in the middle of our course, but will conduct us to our goal. Let us therefore learn to flee to the Lord. Put your hope, put your trust, put your faith in the Lord. Your life in the Lord's hands. And know the comfort and the forgiveness that he can give. Let's pray together. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the words of comfort. Indeed, of double comfort. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you give rest to the weary. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So grant to us, we pray, the faith. To allow the Lord Jesus to place his yoke upon our necks. That we may be guided by him whom we call our Master. And this we pray in his holy name. Amen.